good morning. Cold morning. Freezing morning. Um, now I'm, now I'm uh, wishing I hadn't been complaining so much in July. But that's how it is, isn't it? Um, I am going to continue in Ephesians. Um, I do try to make it through an entire chapter at one time, and I'm not even sure I made it through the first five verses. But uh, I'm going to start in verse 7, Ephesians 1, verse 7. Um, I'm Scott Spencer, by the way. I'm the assistant pastor here at the River Christian Fellowship. Sometimes I forget to let you know who I am, and uh, maybe you're listening somewhere else, and thinking this is not Pastor Mike, and it certainly is not. So he has a lot more hair than I do, even though his is... No, I won't say that. Um, so, uh, but he'll be back. He'll be back in a couple of weeks, so there's, there's nothing wrong. So beginning in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him in him also we have obtained the inheritance having predestined according to the purpose of his of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it brings life to us, that it brings clarity and purpose to our life. Father, we pray for your presence this morning. We pray that you would bless us and uh, feed us your word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So, uh, just to take a look at a moment, uh, Paul, Paul saw himself as an apostle sent to the Gentiles by the will of God. Not by his will. It wasn't his choice. It wasn't his choice to, uh, to uh, preach the gospel at all, but particularly to the Gentiles. You need to, under, you need to realize that for the Jews, the Gentiles were dirty. The Gentiles were were a people they did not associate with. Um, in some places, it refers to the Gentiles that they were like dogs, that they were like not a, not not the not your pet in your house, because you know I don't know about you, but but our dog we have a dog in the house. He's a pretty large dog. Most people would say he doesn't belong in the house. He's so big, but that dog gets 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 unbelievably great treatment you know this is not an outside dog that has to sit out there in the cold no this dog is warm this dog has a blanket on this dog sits on whatever chair or couch he wants and when he needs a treat he comes and asks for one and usually somebody gives him the treat you know so if he's hungry, he gets fed. No, this is not the kind of dogs that, that we read about that the, uh, that the Jews were looking at. The, Jew, the, the dogs that the Jews were looking at were like, 
the the matted flea infested uh, dog with weeping wounds kind of dog that you would put gloves on you want to help him right but you put gloves on in order to take him to the vet and here fix this thing you know that's the kind of dog that they were talking about so the Jews looked at the Gentiles like this like we don't want anything to do with you you are so far beneath us that we don't even want to acknowledge your existence so this is the people that God sent Paul to Paul was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the most religious of the religious Jews. The Pharisees kept the laws. The Pharisees held to a a much higher standard than the typical Jews. They were above, they were above the Jews. They were above the other Jews. They saw themselves as better than, superior to. And yet God took Paul and sent him to the Gentiles. And he says, this is not by my will. I didn't choose this. God chose it for me. I'm reminded of the verse in Jeremiah. The prophecy about Jeremiah says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God says to Jeremiah, I knew you before you were ever conceived. I knew you. Is he saying there that that we existed before we were born? Yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying not only did, did you exist before you were ever born, but I knew you. You were in my presence. And when you came down onto this earth to be born... You came with a purpose. Sometimes I have a little bit of difficulty, you know, with this phrase, and it's everywhere. You know, God has a plan for you. Sometimes I have a little difficulty with that. Because you know what? We have a whole lot of choice in the matter. We have a lot of choice in the matter. Paul could have told God, I ain't going to the Jews. I don't want anything to do with them. I might get fleas. Kind of like uh, kind of like Jonah. I'm not going to Nineveh, to Nineveh. They might want to take my head. And you know what? On a surface level, you can't blame him. I wouldn't want to go to Nineveh either. So we have a choice. There's always consequences for that choice. For Jonah... He ended up in a really stinky place, like a really nasty place. And you know what? That's kind of what happens when we disobey God. If God sends us to do something, he tells us, I want you to go take care of this thing. You know, it's not, I'm not saying we've got an audible voice. I wish we did have an audible voice. I would even settle for an email once in a while. But you, you know what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit puts it on your heart and you know, I need to go do this. I need to take care of this. And there's consequences if you don't do that. Sometimes the consequences is just that you don't hear from God for a while. Sometimes the consequences are that you feel very distant from God's people for a while. 
It's that you know you're supposed to be doing something or you're supposed to have done something and you didn't. You know, but sometimes it's far worse than that. Sometimes you end up in the belly of the whale and uh, that's not a pretty place. And usually if you've ever been there, you only do that once. You know, you're like, I don't really like where I'm at right now. I don't really like what I'm doing right now. But I am not going back there. And so you, you know, you deal with it. You wait it out. God provides. God provides for us. You know, I got to admit this morning, driving here and walking in, I was like, man, I just don't have it this morning. This is just an off day. You know, but God provides. Here I am and I have something to say. How good it is, I don't know. That's, that's for you to judge. But, but I'm here. This is where God put me. And I'm here and he provides. And you know what? If I weren't here, he would be telling me about it. I'd know. I'd know that I'm not where I'm supposed to be. So God appointed Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations. You know, that sounds really cool. Have you ever read about the prophets in the Bible and thought that would be really an awesome job to be a prophet? But wait a minute. Go back and look at how the prophets were treated. That wasn't fun at all. Being a prophet meant that most of the time people hated you. Most of the time people didn't want any part of you. You know, you think about... Think about Jonah walking into Nineveh, and, and this is a, this is a uh, city of, of brutality. This is a city of brutal people. They would take the heads of people who would come to visit, and they would have them for dinner, not invite them for dinner. They would have them for dinner. And, you know, that's, no, you want to be a prophet? Uh-uh. No, not me. I don't want to do that. But when God tells you to go do that, that's what you do. And you don't want to pretend to be a prophet if you're not, because then you're on your own. You're out there doing whatever you're doing, but you don't have the protection of God because he didn't call you for that. He called you for something else. Paul's purpose was a part of a, of a larger God-sized purpose, and, and we're told that it included all of creation. Paul never could have seen what he was doing. He never could have seen what it's led to. Never could have seen it. You know, they didn't even have any idea that, that the entire world existed at that point in time. What they knew was that little area there in the Middle East. They knew that. That was the world. And, and that was the world they were trying to reach. To think that that God's word has spread over the entire globe is remarkable. It's unbelievable. And the fact is that, you know, uh, the blessing and the cursing of the cell phone, right? Um, it just is. But the one thing that the cell phone has done that we never could have foreseen a few years ago is that people in third world countries have access to the gospel, we post everything that comes out of the river is posted online in multiple places. 
And we can track that. We know that people literally all over the world listen. Same with CSN. It's online. And people all over the world can listen. People who cannot, who, people who can barely afford a place to live, but they got a cell phone and they got Wi-Fi. It's unbelievable. It's literally every place you could be. In, in places where, you know, Islam is, is huge and you can get your head cut off for listening to a Christian. They do. They listen. Places where Christianity is completely illegal. But they listen because it's on their phone. They have it in their pocket. Paul never could have seen that. He never could have even thought about that. So... Paul in Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians are basically a prayer. When you read it, if you read it knowing that it's a prayer, it kind of, it makes more sense. Because sometimes when you're reading it, it's like, why, why does he say that? But it's a prayer. And prayer is, uh, Paul is praying about this situation between the Jews and the Gentiles. He knows that he's been sent to the Gentiles and uh, he's praying to try to bring them together because they have this huge division between the two of them. They just, they cannot, they cannot, uh, it's like they can't coexist together. Um, so, but he understands that God has put this in front of him and that, uh, you know, even in John 15, Jesus says, uh, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And Paul understands that. And I leaned on this pretty heavy last week about you being chosen, you folks, you folks who are listening. You're chosen by God. You're chosen by God. God knew you before you were born. God created you with the abilities that you have. He created you with the infirmities that you have. And I read this little thing the other day. I don't know if I can repeat it or not, but... Uh, when it says it goes something like um, when God when when God put a calling on your heart, He factored in your stupidity from the beginning, and that's very comforting, isn't it? For me, that's comforting because you know what I do after after a service like this. What I do is I go home and it's like I I sit in a corner and I suck my thumb and I say, Oh my word, why did I say that? Or why did they say it like that? Everybody probably took it the wrong way. And I'm all worried about everything. But you know what? God factored in my stupidity before I got up here to speak. So it's okay. It'll be all right. So Paul's theme, um, Paul's theme about grace. Grace is so dominant. Grace is God giving. It's God loving it's God blessing us. There's a Greek word for grace, and I won't say it because I'll probably pronounce it wrong, but the meaning is favor and gift and blessing. And part of the problem that some flavors of Christianity have is that they read something like that, and they say uh, they get stuck on the they get stuck on the giving. It's like, oh, God's grace towards me. And God wants me to live an abundant life. Well, what does that mean, abundant? 
A lot of times people look at that word abundant and and they attach the giving to it. And they say, man, God's going to shower me with gifts. He's going to shower me with stuff. And that's not it at all. That is not it at all. God never promised us a wealthy life. He never promised us health or wealth or an easy life. And I was just talking to somebody in the back uh, before before the service and um, and uh, you know we were saying that that everything is going along swimmingly it's just great everything is smooth skies are blue the sun is out and bam you get blindsided by a typhoon that's life that is life and that's where God's grace comes in is when things go south when things go sideways God's grace steps in And he provides you what you need to get through that. So if you're thinking that you're going to ask God for for a new house or something, um, you're, you're you're probably praying up the wrong tree there. You know, God will provide the grace that you need to get through the storms that you go through in life. The difficulties that you go through. That's, that's the grace. God is able to provide you with every abundance. God is able to make grace abound towards you. Focus more on the loving and the blessing part of that word. There's those definitions. You know, and then realize that, that uh, we need to get the focus off of ourselves. It's so easy for us to focus on ourselves and our own needs. What do I need? What do I, what am I lacking? What am I feeling? But if you focus on someone else, if you focus on somebody else's need, and you say, how can I love this person? How can I bless them? It doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be things. It can be your time. It can be your willingness to listen to whatever they're going through in life. All of those things are showing love and grace towards that person. You know what? God's using that. God's put you there. He's put you there in that, in that moment. So, um, so then uh, <clears throat> I want to mention the word holy that's used here. Holy is a lot like uh, the word that I was talking about last week um, when, 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 when Paul calls these people saints. He calls them saints. <clears throat> Excuse me. Saint, a saint is to be someone who was set apart for God's purpose. Same thing with holy. When the Bible refers to us as holy, um, you know, a lot of times the immediate thing is, is I get nervous. Don't call me holy because I know myself and I know I ain't holy. By that definition, I'm not holy. Uh, I'm a pretty messed up guy and I'll just admit it. But God sets us apart and that's what holy means. It doesn't mean that we're this superior spiritual person or that we have met the ecclesiastical uh, minimums for a church somewhere to, to hold a trial and decide that, that we're holy. That's not how that works. You know, what I think of you doesn't matter at all. It's what God thinks of you. 
And God sees you because you are a child of God. He sees you as set apart. So you're not only a saint, but you are holy. You have been set apart for something that God is doing. And you know, understanding that changes a little bit our perspective on life, doesn't it? It should anyway. It should because all of a sudden you should be thinking about what is it that God wants to do with me. It's different for everybody. How one person serves different from the other one. You know, some people are called to serve in a soup kitchen and some people are not. Some people are called to street ministry. I am not. I don't do that. So we're equipped for different things. And that's what you have to find out between you and God. But you need to understand that, that you are a saint and that you are holy. You have been set apart for God's service. And part, a part of figuring that out is to spend enough time with God to know what it is that God wants you to do. And I do believe that as we go through our day, maybe several times a week, you know, God will put something on your heart. Go say something to that person or help that person out there a little bit. You're, you're just, you're showing love and grace towards other people in a very, very dark world is, is what it is. Um, that word therefore blameless that Paul talks about is, um, it, it's related to being uh, sacrificial in that it's it, the, the sacrifice is unblemished. So Paul is admonishing us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy, set apart, and acceptable to God. And that is our spiritual worship, us. We, we are the sacrifice for God. It doesn't mean someone's going to come and take your head. It doesn't mean that someone's going to rip your heart out and, and, and burn it on an altar. That's not, that's not what that's talking about. What it's talking about is that you're giving your life for the service of God. That doesn't mean you don't do fun things yourself. You can keep your video games. You know, you can go fishing now and then. That doesn't mean that, that you know, general life, you don't become a monk in a monastery somewhere. That's not what it means at all. It just means that you are living your life, keeping in mind that you are there to serve God and that God occasionally has something that he wants you to do or he might want to move you into a place. You know, God may be, God might put you in a job that you would never choose and he's going to use you there. And he'll provide for you there. And you'll have every capability to do that job, even though when you walked through the door, you didn't have a clue. And I've had that experience. So I know it's true. If you're just willing to follow where God is leading you, God, God wants your life to be a service to him. Um, in verse, we'll go clear back to verse 3. Uh, in heavenly places, you know, it's a designate, heavenly places is a, de is a designation for the place where God is. It's the realm of the unseen, good and evil. For the Greeks back in those days, they looked up. They looked up and they saw the sky. They saw the stars and the moon. And that was 
the heavenly realm, what they saw. Now, they understood that there's more out there. And so when they referred to the heavens, they were looking up. They were not necessarily thinking about the place where God resides. Now, that was up there. Yes, it was up there. But what they could visibly see was also referred to as the heavens. So when you're reading scripture, you need to determine what are they talking about? Are they talking about where angels reside? Are they talking about where, you know, uh, angels and demons reside in the heavens? Or are they talking about that part of the sky that we can see as the heavens? Because they referred to it as both places. Uh, Paul uses that phrase five times in Ephesians. And interestingly, it's only found in Ephesians. But he's stuck with that because his message is that Christ is supreme and Christ is the source of the blessing um, on heaven and earth. And then, then uh, and I already talked about predestination. I'm not going to go into that again. Um, but, you know, we get into trouble. We get into trouble when we try to to make doctrine logical um, as it as it has to do with the sovereignty of God we get we get um, we get into trouble with that what we need to understand is that God intended for everybody to be saved all all of mankind everybody you know the people in the Middle East the people in the African jungle the people in the Asian jungles in every wherever they are God intended for everyone to be saved. And what it comes down to is it comes down to what do you want? Because God offers it. It's a gift. How does it work when you get a gift? If I were to walk up to you and I were to give you a little package or a box and I said, here, I want to give you this. What has to happen for that transaction to take place? It's a gift. Am I asking for payment? No. Payment has nothing to do with it. All you have to do to accept a gift is to reach out and take it and say thank you. Don't object, you know. A lot of times someone wants to give you something and you're like, oh, no, you don't have to do that. No, you know, just please don't do that. Well, you're rejecting God's gift if you do that. And why do some people do that? They think themselves unworthy of a gift? Is that it? It's probably different reasons that they might do that. But there's another thing about the gift. You don't get to choose what the gift is. Somebody else chose it for you. You don't have a choice in the matter. And you might get a gift and you say, wow, that is a really ugly scarf. I'm going to be really embarrassed to wear that to work. You know, but the person who bought that for you thought that it was beautiful. And they were so excited to give it to you. And you're looking at that saying, oh, no, please. That's how some people look at the gift that God wants to give them. They look at that and they say, did I ask for that? 
I don't even know what it is. What is it? Are there directions that go with this? When God offers you his presence, or when God offers you a place of service in some way, don't look down on it. Don't look down on it at all. You know, sometimes that happens. Uh, you get you get offered, you, well, you're not offered, you're, you're asked to go do a, a different job at your work. And um, you're like, am I in trouble? I feel like I'm getting a demotion here. What did I do? You know, and you're really unhappy. Until you've been there for a while, and then you realize, this is perfect, I love this. But sometimes it does take a while. Sometimes God puts us in a situation and we're just really uncomfortable with it. We're like, really? Wow, God, I really don't want to be here. You know, I don't like these people. I don't like the way they look. I don't like the music they listen to. They smell funny. You know, all those things. And then after a while, you get to know them. You get to be friends and you start fellowshipping a little bit with them. And things change. And all of a sudden, you know, you see God working. So that we're chosen by God is that affirmation in Ephesians 7 through 12. That we're redeemed by Christ is the second affirmation. Um, That passage there, 7 through 12, that's the one that I read, has really vivid symbols in there. And behind every single one of them is uh, reflected the power of Jesus Christ to redeem us, to redeem us. It's to bind ourselves to him and bind ourselves together as Christians and to bring unity, ultimate, the, the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal that Jesus had was that the entire creation would be bound to him would be one with him everything fell apart everything fell apart when Adam and Eve couldn't follow the directions that was really that was a really simple direction too that was easy one thing one thing you couldn't do one thing one simple thing Just don't eat whatever's on that tree right over there. Leave that one alone. And they couldn't do that. (laughs) But that's how people are, aren't we? Isn't that how people are? God's probably done that to you on occasion. And you feel it in your heart. You're in a situation. Maybe you're with some friends. You want to be a part of the group. You don't want to be a wet blanket. You don't want to be the square. And so, even though you're convicted in your heart that you shouldn't do that, you do. In that moment, God only asks you to do or to not do one thing. One simple thing. You can't do that. That's my story. I'll just admit it. You know, I've been in those situations. I know exactly how that feels. 
You don't want to be the oddball. You don't want to be the odd man out. Everybody else is doing it. So you're like, well, really? It's probably pretty harmless. No, it's not harmless. The reason it's not harmless is because God told you not to do it. And there's a reason why God told you not to do it. You know, most of the directions that we get in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, but even the Old Testament as well, but realize we don't live under the Old Testament law. We don't live under that law anymore. We live under the New Testament. Um, We live under grace in the New Testament. But most things that we're told not to do in the Bible have a really practical reason behind them. It's not just some spiritual arbitrary thing that God, when he was really bored one day, made up and says, I think I'm just going to make people's life difficult. And so I'm going to ask them not to do this or to do that. Most things have a really practical reason behind them. You know, the Bible tells us not to be drunk. It says, don't be drunk. Can you think of any practical reason why it's not good to be drunk? I can think of a few. But the bottom line is people do really stupid things when they're drunk. And they really mess things up. They cause all all kinds of problems for themselves and for people that are that are around them, their family, you know, it just it becomes a mess. So it's really very practical. Don't get drunk. How, how, how can you avoid getting drunk? Well, you can avoid getting drunk by simply not drinking anything that will make you drunk. That's one way for sure. But when you're with a group of people who are drinking and you want to be part of the group and you're like, uh, got your Diet Pepsi over there, you know, and everyone else is getting hammered. But they're the stupid ones. They are. Because they're going to do something stupid. They're going to mess up a relationship. They're going to hurt somebody. You know, they always feel like this is harmless. I'm not doing anything to anybody else. But inevitably, they do. And so when the Bible tells you to not do something or to do something... You know, keep the Sabbath. I'm not very good about that because I have a lot of things that I need to do. And so when I have a day off, I'm, I'm thinking about what is it that I need to do. So I don't, I'm not good about that. You know, but God has a way of making you stop. And sometimes it involves ER. <laughs> and sometimes it involves sitting in the hospital for a week. But he says, I'm going to slow you down one way or the other. Because we need some time together. That's what that's about. Spending a little time with God. It's not that you're in your Bible all the time. It's that you are communing with, you know, look, you got the Holy Spirit in there, right? That's the Spirit of God. You're talking to him and he's talking back. And he's telling you, you're my child. This is where we're going. And you know, God doesn't usually show you very hard or very far ahead of where you're going. 
Paul says redemption is through the blood of Jesus. And uh, for Paul, you know, and I, 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 I have not uh, have not read this, but if you're not familiar with the with the account of uh, Paul on the Damascus Road when he met Jesus, just go back and read that. It's not very long. It's only a few verses. But for Paul, that experience on the Damascus Road always had Calvary on the horizon. It always had Calvary in the background for Paul. It was on Calvary where Jesus was crucified that sin was condemned. That sin lost. We see sin around us rampant today. Uh, I don't think Sodom and Gomorrah had anything over what's going on in the world today. And you know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. God rained fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. You know why God allows this to continue on the way he does, I don't really know. And But I, I'll tell you, I, I, I don't think it's going to last a whole lot longer. Because at some point in time, God's going to say, enough. Enough. But none of that matters. None of that matters because for you, the position that you and I are in is that we need to stay close to God. We need to stay in communication with God. We need to be living our life for the Lord. We need to be living our life in a way that is serving him and avoiding things that he's leading us away from because you don't know. You don't know when the end is going to come. I don't know. It may be closer than you think. And it may be closer for you or for me than for other people in here. You know, I have a tendency to fall asleep when I drive. I can't hardly get it for, get from here to home without getting sleepy. Something about the car just rocks me to sleep, you know. Well, when you're doing 80 miles an hour down the freeway, not a good thing. You might meet the Lord really quick. That's my point. My point is it doesn't matter how long it takes for God to bring all of this world to an end. That doesn't matter. It's when will you meet the Lord? When are you going to be face to face with him? Are you prepared for that? What does your life look like? Do you feel confident that if you were to meet the Lord at 2 p.m. this afternoon, you'd be in a good place? Because that's where you want to stay. That's where you want to stay. You don't want to push it. You know, our human nature is to always be pushing boundaries. Always pushing boundaries. How far can I get before God slaps me on the behind and says, get in the corner with the dunce cap on. You're in trouble. You know, we don't want to be doing that. Don't push the boundaries. Stay in a safe place with God. Stay where he's, he's told you to stay. Stay where he's put you. You know, some, some people are in a relationship. Here I am off on a rabbit trail again. But I'm going to say this. Some people are in a relationship that's not easy. It isn't easy. But you made a commitment to each other. And you might be looking for a way out. 
And you might be rationalizing, saying, well, they did this, they did that, they didn't do this, they never do that. When, when, when you took your wedding vows, was that a part of it in there? Because I can tell you that if, if I perform a wedding ceremony, I, I don't, that's not in there. There is not an escape clause. You know, my, if your husband never loads the dishwasher, you can get out. If your husband never cleans the toilet, you can get out. If your husband doesn't take the garbage out, there's an exit. There's also things for women. You wouldn't believe the emails that I get from people um, of, of complaining, you know, men complaining about their wives. It goes both ways goes both directions but what I'm saying is if you sought God before you got married if you sought him if you asked him is this the person for me and I don't believe that God specifically picks one person on the face of the earth that is right for you and nobody else is no you, you, have, you have a choice in the matter you have free will. God will bring you together with somebody that is going to be a blessing to you. But that doesn't mean that there's not some compromise on your part. That doesn't mean that you're going to get every single thing that you want. And they're going to get every single thing that they want. You have to work together. You have to be willing to say... In my case, my wife is cooking a stinky fish today, and I can smell it before I get in the house, and I'm not going to say anything about it. Nothing. I'm not going to ask what's for dinner either. You know? Usually my wife's pretty good. If she cooks something that she knows I won't like, she'll cook something else as well, but... Um, but there are some things I don't complain about and I accept, I accept it because I know when I married an Asian woman that, that there are things that she's going to want to do, she's going to want to eat, she does things in a different way and that comes as a part of the package. And I hope, I hope that when you got married... And if you're not married, but you're heading in that direction, I hope you give that some thought. There are some things that just come as a part of the package deal. And you're not going to like everything. But if that person overall is a blessing to you, then God has brought you together. But you need to spend a little time with God. You need to spend some time with God saying is this the right thing to do or not because you know God's intention was never to have divorce God's intention was never to have broken homes God's intention was that when there's children that come out of a relationship those children have their mom and dad they have both and there are people out there who will tell you that kids don't need their dad. That's a truckload. Don't buy into that. 
Kids need their dad. Kids need their mom. And I hate it when people, I've heard this time and time again. Oh, kids are resilient. They'll be fine. Look at the world. They're not fine. The kids are not fine. The kids need their parents. And that's your job. That's your job. When you bring children into the world, that's your job to make sure that they have both. Husband and a wife. And if that means that you have to suck it up and you keep your mouth shut when you go home because you're not getting everything you want, then that's what you do. That's what you do. Part of the problem is that, you know, as Christians, we're supposed to serve each other. We're supposed to serve each other. Jesus made that clear when he washed the disciples' feet. Here was the king of the universe getting down on his hands and knees. And you know what? Those feet were dirty. Those feet probably stank. And you know, feet like that, they're not pretty. They're all beat up. The king of the universe got down and washed their feet. Does that give you a little insight about what a husband should do for his wife and a wife should do for her husband? And there's nothing that works better that will bring a blessing to your marriage if the wife is wanting to serve the husband and the husband is serving the wife. Both people get everything that they need. Do you get everything that you want? Probably not. But you have everything you need. And you have a loving wife and a loving husband. And that brings a happy home. And that brings children that thrive out of it. And all of this baloney that, that, that our liberal government wants to say about, oh, this will make our kids better and this will make our kids happy. And we're going to teach them all of this garbage in elementary school. That's all a truckload. That is a lie. That's a lie out of the pit of of hell. All of those things start in your home. They start before those kids ever arrive. Serve each other. We need to serve each other. So, Paul was talking about being justified by the blood of Christ. Um, there's this Jewish idea of, of blood as a sacrifice for sin. And if that was the image that was in Paul's mind, which it could have been, it was probably kind of a transposed image. Because the blood of Christ was synonymous with the cross. The blood of Christ was synonymous with Calvary. Where sin was deposed. And that's what Paul was talking about. He wasn't talking about, you know, sacrificing the lamb. Back in the Old Testament, every year they had to go and make a sacrifice. What, what they could afford. If they could afford a lot, it was a bull. If they couldn't afford much, it was, it was a pigeon. But they had to make a blood sacrifice to atone for their sins for the year. And the next year, they had to go back and do it again. It was a cycle 
over and over and over again. And honestly, while they're on the way from the temple to back home, they're already sinning. It didn't last long. But when Jesus died on the cross, I love Paul's phrase there. He says, it was once for all. It was once for all. That means that you do not have to go to someone who puts on a robe in a little cubicle and confess to them and then they will forgive your sins. No. No. You don't have to come to a pastor and confess your sins. If you need somebody to talk to, I'm happy to do that. But I don't have any authority or power to absolve anybody of sins. Nor would I want to have that power or authority. And besides that, Jesus has already done that. So it would be a moot point, wouldn't it? To understand that, you know, Jesus died once for all. Never to be done again. Does not have to be done again. Once for all. Everybody. Jesus died for everybody. And he's given you a gift. He's giving you a gift of salvation. He's giving you a golden ticket to heaven. What do you have to do to make that transaction? You got to reach out and take it. Take the ticket. And take it with everything that comes with it. Because now you have a relationship with the God of the universe. And when you do, we call that we call that becoming a Christian. You know, and we usually pray involved with that. But I got to tell you, the prayer's not magical. You know, if you didn't have a change of heart and say, I want God to be my Savior, that prayer means nothing. The acceptance needs to be in your heart. I can't tell that. Sometimes, sometimes I get a feeling like this is really real, or I get a feeling like, wow, not too sure about this, you know. But I don't know. It's between you and God. You know, you come up and what does the Bible say? If you believe in your heart and you speak it with your mouth, you'll be saved. You know, the bar is pretty low for becoming a Christian. Faith like a mustard seed. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? A little tiny thing. Faith that's that little. can barely see it. That's what it takes. You know, to live out your life as a Christian and to serve the Lord your entire life and to do the fabulous things that sometimes we read about people doing, that takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime of growth. It takes a lifetime of submission to God. But to start, it doesn't take much. You know, it's just like being baptized. Sometimes sometimes people kind of have the idea that, you know, like uh, when Jesus was baptized, you know, God spoke and the Spirit came down. And they're expecting that kind of an experience. Well, he was Jesus, okay? You're not. Don't expect that kind of an experience. Being baptized is an outward sign of something that has happened in your heart. 
And if nothing happened in your heart and you get baptized, all you do is get wet. You don't even get a good bath because you don't have shampoo. Oh, I don't mean shampoo. But my point is there has to be a change in your heart. That's where it is. But you understand that if you accept the forgiveness that that Jesus gave his life for, if you understand that you have that forgiveness, it, it's so freeing. And you know what? If you do something really bad, you know how people call up all the time at the radio station and, and then they go through this litany of, of things that they've done over their lifetime. And after a while, I'm just practically laying on the floor under this pile of stuff, you know. And I'm thinking, how could anybody do all of that in one lifetime? And they're burdened by all of that. And then I explained to him, look, all you have to do is ask God for forgiveness. He'll give it to you. Just ask. Because the sacrifice has already been made. Jesus made the sacrifice for that. Accept it. Take the ticket. Reach out and take the gift. So I'm going to pray. I invite you to pray along with me. And um, I'll remind you, we have refreshments across the hall. And uh, I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you personally if you uh, would like to do that. Lord God Almighty, Lord, we do believe in Jesus. We believe he's, he's our redemption. We know, Lord, that we're sinful people and we need a Savior. Lord, I give my life and my heart to you. And I repent of ways that do not bring glory and honor to you, Lord. And I commit myself to serving you. Lord, we want to know you in a very real and personal way. And we invite you into our life. We ask for your direction. And um, Lord, we just pray that you would bless us all with your presence throughout the coming week. Give us peace and give us your presence. In Jesus' name we ask it.